I don't know. It's just it's just a matter of values, mm-hmm. as you said. I mean, talking about like horrible people. I want to talk about like race or like like racism again, but like we were talking okay. about fetishization of yeah. And that guy that I told you about, yeah, he wasn't white. He was Indian. Then did he mean Asian as in like Eastern Asians, or did he mean Asians as in just like even Southern Asian, just like every single Asian? I mean, I, I'm not specific. I think I don't. I didn't ask him. I don't say I didn't care, but he, mm-hmm. he said Asians, and I hope he's not stupid enough to think he's not Asian. Yeah. So I don't know, man. Like, I don't really know if I have a fully. Because I, in some ways, would... I don't know if, I can really, if this really stands. But, like, I would say I've lived kind of a privileged Asian life, considering... Like, I did immigrate over here when I was in grade five. So, like, it's not like I was, you know... I was born and raised Canadian. I wasn't even born in Canada. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't really feel as if I was really discriminated against. Just because I was also born in a very multicultural country. In a very multicultural part of Canada. So I don't really see myself as like, oh, she's a newbie or like, you know, let's bully, bully the person who eats rice. Like, it's not really like that, kind of. I mean, maybe in some ways subconsciously, but I feel like sometimes it also depends on like how willing you are to play the game of other people. I feel like that's a big part of it. How willing you are to adapt to other situations instead of being like, why do I have to adapt when I've already built up a certain way because I know that some individuals feel differently like they feel like like my parents for example the 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 game they have to play and the way they have to adapt is very different from us because they have fully grown as individuals in a certain society before integrating into another society so for them of course they feel like they have a lot more barriers but like I don't really know if you could equate that to being like oppression of another race it's just like immigrate immigrant problems you know like you have to adapt yourself because everybody is bound to have some sort of like preference in some ways like for example for me i don't really think i'm going to be able to marry or to be able to date like uh like uh someone of like pakistani descent just because like their their dominant religion is like islam and i don't really see myself converting to that religion so like it makes sense for you to have preferences but also at the same time like unless you're coming from a discriminatory standpoint where it's like i don't like how you look then like i guess it's like bro what's wrong with you but like, no, I, it's, I feel like it makes sense to have preferences yeah, in terms like, of race, just because of cultural similarity and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you're just if you're just like fetishizing people and just seeing them only as their skin color, it's yeah, like, it's like, yeah, it's like you're being that's a separate a, issue. That's that's like you know mm-hmm. <laughs> something's wrong. Something's yeah. wrong there. Yeah. For instance, like I see myself being with uh, like an Asian girl most likely because. Mm-hmm. Because we it's, share the similar values, yeah. you know, it's like they uh, they understand, you know, some of the things understand, yeah, 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 and inside jokes and like and like stuff like that. It make it, it helps us click better. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like it's not like I'm close to being uh, closed off to the option. Other people, yeah, rates, but but no, okay. What I was talking about with preference is that it's a common mm-hmm. phenomenon for um, Asian families to just prefer that you know their kids marry someone who is from the same same kind of asian you Mm know Mm -hmm. um every single race is very just kind of racist 
Everyone's yeah. kind of racist. Yeah. I, I don't say that in like we're we're hateful. Um, I I don't think it's um. Why are you humming? No, I was like, I was gonna say yeah, but I was also like thinking about it in terms mm. of different situations, kind of. What I mean by because everyone... I think it's it's huh? it's okay to have a preference, but I don't really think it's right to be like I'm not gonna date that person because you know like because of whatever reason, kind of. Yeah. I don't really know though. Just as long as you're not spreading negativity, I feel like it's not it's not really sending the message that oh this person is not dateable. It's more so that like. I want someone who's able to understand me better. I guess. Mm. Sorry, I was. I was still. I was still reflecting about what we were just talking about. What's your new point? <laughs> um, everyone's racist. <laughs> okay. Point. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. I mean by that, I don't mean like uh, the kind of ignorant, hateful racism. It's more like if if you were properly enculturated in your heritage when you were growing up. Um, I mean, people like people have a emotional preference of things that are more familiar so uh you would privilege your culture and people who look like you like mm-hmm. you uh over you i mean you could call it implicit bias but um yeah it's it's not um, even it's not just socio-cultural i don't it's like the misconception on social media it's like implicit bias like socially culturally constructed you know um, you observe your surroundings, you internalize it, but it's deeper than that. It's like, it's the fact that we have that biological wiring that allows us to have these implicit biases well, it is terrifying because implicit bias will always exist. And, um, and so therefore racist attitudes, I guess, like, like privileging um, certain races over another or cultures over another will always exist. So I guess that's where the idea of anti-racism comes in, right? Okay, what, okay I want to go back to yeah, um, my example of that guy like fetishizing me and, mm-hmm. and how he, he was Asian himself. Like, like you, I've never experienced explicit, hateful, ignorant racism. And when mm-hmm. I did, it's from other Asian people and they, <laughs> it, it tends mm-hmm. to be like Chinese Korean mm-hmm. I mean, like once in a while maybe there's like that weird white kid who thinks that he's like Dave Chappelle and speaks in a Chinese or whatever oh yeah yeah but I never <sighs> saw it as hateful I never like like objectively can call them microaggressions and you know when people make fun of you for how your lunch smells or they make fun of your name and things like that i mm-hmm. maybe it's just my personality but i never let these things affect me maybe that has something to do with maturity something i realized where a lot of the times when you take offense to something it probably has to have a pre-existing condition where the person taking offense probably is in some way insecure about something that's something I realized more so over time, where probably because the two of us, we don't necessarily feel as if what we have is something to be shamed upon. So whenever something says some, like whenever someone says something derogatory towards us, we're just like, haha, ignorance. And then we move on with our lives. We don't really take offense to it. We're not really hurt by it just because we don't really feel it as deep. That's something I was thinking about, like yeah. as you right. grow as a person you're and right. like you become more accepting of yourself, the things people say around you matter less and i think that's something that has to do with coming of age as well that's probably why a lot of the times like boomers are perceived to be like 
why are you guys getting offended? Because they were already past that, that point in life, while teenagers are still in like the process of navigating themselves and so, you know, balls of insecurity. And like, that's why, that's why like political correctness seems to be so much of a bigger wave among teenagers than it is among other groups. I don't know about millennials though. Mm, yeah, it, it's pretty big among millennials. They're, they're, they're still in their 20s. So mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, you're right. I Whenever people said things like this, I never saw it as, I never took it personally because I know this was just a projection of their own insecurity, mm-hmm. you know, and their own ignorance. I just always felt sorry for them and, and pitiful. And honestly, like Chinese culture, rocks i mean chinese like, culture slaps <laughs> yeah like mm-hmm. hey i don't care what you say about the food that i'm eating during chinese new year i'm getting like like thank from these red pockets okay so make fun of me all you want you broke ass hoe at the end Bro, of the day are you attacking them <laughs> at the end of the day who has money who has money, okay? I don't, I don't think anyone's ever attacked you from getting red pocket money. <laughs> no, no. They would make fun of the food I eat. You know? Oh, oh right. Like dumplings because it has jiu tai in it, which yeah. is the type dumpling, of like... Dumpling smells kind of scary though, but I remember, I think Garish? a lot of the times... Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying like when I... My mom refrains from packing dumplings for me during, for lunch or whatever because mm-hmm. I used to be like, you know what? The, I kind of don't like this smell. I don't want this whole classroom to smell like this. But I feel like a lot of times issues of race are not are not like associated with the perpetrator a lot of the times it really has to like like it really has it really depends on the perceiver more than the person giving it sometimes because i feel like i was more so like i feel like the only form of like i guess prejudice that i experienced was probably the ones i created within myself like i was too scared to bring dumplings to school i still am just because i'm scared that people won't like are scared of the smell i mean i'm kind of scared of the smell <laughs> myself <laughs> i, I kind of am though they do smell kind of scary they're too high phobic <laughs> yeah. yeah um i, yeah, I guess anyways. the argument um that i'm seeing is that we don't we shouldn't have to like go through that at all you know we shouldn't have to yeah. need to develop that kind of maturity and um i think this kind of maturity is something that we need to develop regardless of the existence of racism because people are mm-hmm. always going to um have a biased perspective of us whether it is like regardless of race and it yeah. just i feel like we should be- also like probably like also include the fact that like we experience, I think, racism on a much more shallow level than other people, I guess. Because I think if you lived in some place much more rural, where ideas are much more like, like they don't really like receive higher levels of education, then racism affects them much stronger, I guess. Because it right. really shapes right. what you are and aren't allowed to do. And I don't really think the racism we're speaking for is that necessarily either, right? It's more so mm-hmm. like the day-to-day occurrences and the things you experience, not just like, you know, like, hate crimes literally mm, precisely yeah. yeah that's a really good point we definitely mm-hmm. cannot speak to what's going on in america we don't we have mm-hmm. we, we don't have a clue i mean canadians are far more rational and it's hard to imagine what's going on in america but in mm-hmm. canada like unless you go to like saskatchewan or like alberta <laughs> saskatchewan doesn't really have that many like i guess it is like white predominated but i don't really think there's like 
people, some people still immigrate there, right? Like my dad kidding. has a friend, right? Like, yeah, 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 I get what you're saying though. I heard Alberta was pretty like, or like basically the more rural you get, the less openness they have. Just cause I think a lot of openness has to do with experience. And if they haven't experienced new people or whatever things, then of course you're going to approach it very like standoffishly. But like with experience and as long as their kids are o- like open to like interacting with newer people. And I think with with intermingling, prejudice probably dies down over time. But of course, it's not like oh, it's natural. It happens naturally. It's more so like you know things are things are being done for it to hmm. you know happen. Yeah. Yeah. And racism is always going to exist, even if it's not between races. It's going to be yeah. like it, within one race there's racism <laughs> you know yeah like my my uh my mom my um my my dad's side of the family never accepted my mom's side of the family because mm-hmm. uh, my uh because my mom's side of the family wasn't shanghainese you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like there's stereotypes in china from province to province like ch- like shanghainese people are cunning they're like snakes and Taiwanese people, they're very warm-hearted. They'll like invite you over mm-hmm. for like tea and like like uh-huh. wash your feet and things like that. Is that the stereotype? <laughs> I didn't no, know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I was like, like mm, where'd you hear it from? Explain. <laughs> no, you guys, I hope I, I don't think you'd wash my feet from me. But no, maybe. Maybe. Why? <laughs> Why do you need your feet washed by me? Explain. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm very uncomfortable with people touching my feet. But yeah, you guys are very warm hearted. So there's like different stereotypes province thank to province, you. and yeah. there's like okay, that thank you was misplaced. But what? What? No, because I said there's stereotypes say- from province. No, no, no. I'm talking about the previous statement where you're like, oh yeah, you're very warm hearted, or oh. something like that. Okay. I'm yeah, not, yeah, okay. Yeah. Anyways, go on. <laughs> I'm not thinking it was something weird. Yeah, because when like I have so many Taiwanese uh, family friends, and like for instance, when I went to your house for the first time, your mom like pulled out <laughs> your entire pantry. You know, she like every, uh-huh. every few seconds she would bring me like new candy. And, oh like, yeah. We had ramen, and she she got us like sliced meat to put in the ramen. She pulled out like five kinds of like like mushrooms and things like that. Yeah, so, and there's a hospitality is big. Yeah, yeah. So there's different stereotypes from province to province, and there's race. There's I, I wouldn't say it's racism, it's ethnicityism. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, like that's also something that I've also like questioned about too. Like, why is like are you allowed to accept only the positive stereotypes and reject the negative, or like should you just reject stereotypes in general just because overgeneralization of things normally isn't good? Like, I don't, I don't really know. Is there like a like a like a politically correct stance that you're supposed to take on something like that? No, I mean with politics people are always going to be upset about something and mm. the human beings aren't the type of creatures to I, I mean like okay our yes. existences aren't politically correct because like the way that our our memory uh, mm-hmm. And we, uh, the way that we encode memory and we remember things, is 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 like um, the way that we remember things is through building like conceptual conceptual schemes, you know, mm-hmm. and and through making these stereotypes and generalizations, you know, you don't know what a what a house like, you don't look at houses and like know that they're a 
like oh wait hold on you know what a house is because you have this like imprint of in your mind of this uh of the um like a preconceived schema of what a house should be yeah this this like you can call it like archetypical house in your head that mm -hmm. that you have built over multiple instantiations of observing what a house is so mm -hmm. like when you see a house you don't see the house for like like the tiles and the way they constructed every single little detail you, you see a house you're able to identify uh, mm -hmm. this pattern and you say that's a house and we do that because we our brain creates these stereotypes and conceptual that's how we think you mm -hmm. know so inevitably you know that leads to um uh, like stereotypes which people like racist stereotypes because yeah yeah I, I guess it makes sense it's natural and i think probably like the the thing to be said is like as long as it's not spreading negativity or hate like it's not it's not said with the intent to harm then i guess it should be accepted but you know that's the interesting interesting thing because respect and your intention it's not enough anymore literally i mm -hmm. um i i joined this okay i i don't want to go into too much detail because i don't yeah wanna, like out yourself <laughs> no it's just <laughs> what did you join kristen a cult no <laughs> it was, okay i don't think this is too much i okay i went to this hackathon i participated okay. in this hackathon and there was this um uh speaker the title mm -hmm. of her um and this is this is run by a very like a, a top-notch institution you know mm -hmm. so they're not like some fringe organization and the title is called res like beyond mere respect or something like that beyond just respect respect is not re respect is not enough and this uh -huh. is about race issues uh -huh. and like it's it's like all this anti-racism thing um you have to like like consciously reflect on like everything mm -hmm. you do make sure yeah. that everyone's comfortable and yeah. if like white students are talking too much make sure that like african american students they talk you know mm -hmm. things like that and so it's but the thing is like this is great and all on paper but in mm -hmm. practice, I just, there's something, I, I haven't spent enough time dissecting it because I jumped out of the political scene. I just, for various reasons, but mm -hmm. this, this speaker, she was, she was this white lady and God bless her soul because she sounded like she was terrified for her life. Like she sounded like, like girl, who's holding you at gunpoint? You know, <laughs> like because yeah. she, when she, okay, on paper, these ideas sound good, but when I saw her, incorporate it and embody these principles i saw something very very frightening like this person you can see her so frightened and and mm -hmm. like her mind was running like 1000 miles per hour every single word she said is like she's making sure that it was not racially charged in some way and made uh -huh. sure that it was uh -huh. like it was like respectful and like uplifting and things like that and she would trip mm -hmm. over her words so much and I saw this all throughout this competition. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, like, is this down. how it ought to be? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, it's like, it's kind of like Marxism and communism. It's, it's great on paper, but in practice, you have no idea what it's going to turn out to be like. And the same thing with this anti racism idea. Mm -hmm. 
people tend to take it to the extreme and it, it's just yeah i think a lot of the times proposed ideas are too idealistic and i i agree with the notion that everyone should actually reflect on issues of race and like how that what that means for yourself like what what prejudice do you hold against other people that shouldn't be there because you're actually hurting other people but i feel like that applies to all like everything you do in life you have to constantly evaluate what you're doing to become a better person and i feel like nowadays i'm much more against like the direct punishment that racism or any form of prejudice is associated with because that like if you if you condemn someone for something to that scale you don't care for development you don't even care for the issue at hand you only care about spreading hate too because i think racism is something that like to acknowledge the issue you have to have great levels of empathy because you need to understand what the victim is going through right you have to understand what they're going through to be able to understand why racism is inherently wrong but also at the same time when you're when you're like when you're telling the perpetrator of whatever hate they instigated if you're like telling them like what you're doing is wrong they are they are like even if what they said even if they were ignorant of what they said they are like pushed into a corner so hard that i feel like the way people attack them suddenly doesn't show the same empathy that was there that required them to understand the situation the situation of the victim in the first place like empathy is so easy to give when it's to a victim and it's so much harder to give when it's the perpetrator like i feel like modern days the way we deal with things and like issues of race is way too out of control like it also depends on like what what the scenario is though but i feel like we're blow like we're blowing it probably way out of proportion and we're leaving no room for better development mm. kind of it, it depends on what person you're talking to though i feel like the more mature you are the more willing you're able to forgive about it and like the, the younger you are maybe you have to you know spend time and grow up and like understand more things because i i'm also like this doesn't apply to everyone of course like there's some things where it's like if you did something that was morally wrong too bad like you in jail forever i mean but like that, that's what laws yeah, are for we need to be like i'm not i'm not clear like everyone except uh, for me weinstein like that's not what i'm that's not what i'm saying he deserves to i don't know like life in prison mm -hmm. like capital punishment whatever I'm, i'm not quite sure like i'm not saying we have to be able to have the capacity to forgive for everyone but i'm saying like sometimes punishment is going way out of hand that people aren't allowed to live and that's not that's not sustainable basically mm. no you're mm. right but we need to be clear that we're talking about like 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 saying racist things like not yeah. like 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 what happened in atlanta like that person should I, i'm for capital punishment like like why the mm -hmm. hell some people they're not even human anymore so uh -huh. like that I guy like the, should be yeah you know, i feel like The death sentence is something that kind of sparks a lot of conversation too as well like are you for should we even talk about this in this podcast we are are we supposed to be talking about you know like grow like growing in hey, teenagers no stuff? sorry i'm gonna start your this conversation is getting too meta they don't need to know the inner workings of this podcast <laughs> but okay 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 um uh like racism is something that's always going to exist it's just like as you said we need empathy because here's the thing like in a good example to prove what the statement that you just said about mm -hmm. empathy and we need empathy for the perpetrator as well as a victim but is, is this example of parlor right it's like and i saw this great satirical comedic uh skit that makes fun of this whole situation which is like what's the best way to treat racists yeah 
push them mm-hmm. to the fringes of society, take them off all social, like, like like all mainstream platforms, so they can communicate with no one and spread their ideas to no one. No one even knows that they exist. That's how you do it. And you just put them all together what? in this little cesspool at the fringes of society where they just, oh, what happens? Oh, I mean, like, it, like they just have this ideological orgy where they just build up each other, and, um, and this hate accumulates over time, and it, it, it and it, it's, it's it explodes eventually, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely not the right way to do anything. Like I, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine if anything we did, like, we were just like ban, 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 like, bruh. <laughs> like, no. Um, there's. You, you, I mean, unless you kill them. I mean, even if you kill them, that still sparks resentment. Because what people tend to forget that there really isn't a left and a right. You know, there's there's uh-huh. a left and a right, and then there's there's like a mass massive group of people. The majority of people are quite moderate. You know, they're very open mm-hmm. to um, discussion, and they're not exactly like settled on specific issues. And mm-hmm. when you take such extreme issues, you're really like, like what what moderates see is that you know, they start they start empathizing with a side that you're trying to abolish from existence, mm-hmm. and and um, it's just counterproductive because you can't have acceptance, you can't achieve acceptance if you're unable to properly reconcile with the side that you you're that because you ultimately like everyone in a country you have to live together Mm -hmm. um because sure you're able to push them into suppression for a period of time but they're just going to bubble up again yeah well it's definitely not the way to do things Mm. the pendulum of power swings back and forth On Aboriginal issues, that's what we should be focusing on in Canada. What are we getting ourselves it, into? Yeah, the uh, the the experience of uh, African Canadians is a total different ball game. From they, mm-hmm. we don't have um, a history of systemic like oppression against African Americans, like in terms of like governments and yeah. I won't say it's st- as deep rooted because like the victim in Canada scenario isn't you know the Africans that came over as slaves. It was the indigenous people, right? Like we, yeah. we picked a different we picked a different race to bully. <laughs> <laughs> and and us and us a Chinese people because oh. of mm-hmm. uh like, you know, the, the Chinese head tax and like Japanese mm-hmm. people with the concentration camps, the internment camps. issues to focus on, you know, and, and like and people will say Oh, just because it doesn't affect you. I don't know why. Okay. But just because yeah, it doesn't affect that. you uh, doesn't mean you should not care for it. But it's like, on, there's so many issues in this world. If we all just focus on one issue at a time, then we'll get nothing done. We should be able to say to ourselves, okay, there. yes, that is a pressing issue for your country. But I have a pressing issue in my country that I want to focus on. Oh, so I'm just okay. gonna, I'm just gonna like, you can deal with you, you know. But, I mean, it's the same ideological like colonialism that America is being um, accused of all the time, you know, uh, transporting capitalism and individualism into countries that 
don't want it or or christianity doing that you know mm-hmm. um it's it's like why is it why is it morally righteous when you do it in this specific instance mm-hmm. but you criticize america uh, and the government when they do the same thing you know but in a, a different setting and with a different like ideological framework it's just all ideological colonialism mind your own business <laughs> okay. yeah i get what you're saying when you said everybody should only do one thing at once i was like no <laughs> what I, I yeah said, no, we should yeah. we should yeah 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 oh by the way funny thing about animals i've noticed in uh, in our area there has been an increase in the population of bald eagles like what yeah yeah it, you see like trees full of bald eagles and it's so funny because I, this I, I is the ju- spread of americanism <laughs> no, no. <laughs> taking over yeah sure but i would joke with my mom it's like they got sick of all the politics you know and they just came here <laughs> is any of this material usable <laughs> like, like would you shouldn't uh-huh. you like cut out cut out our very long side tangent on like yeah i can american- cut it out yeah um but I think this is interesting and people, I don't know, I don't know, people may have clicked out, but I don't care. Um, but <laughs> it's, I think it's really interesting because if we play Mad Lib here and we say, like, um, X was oppressed by X in the past, so therefore they should receive compensation from X. If we fill in the X with, like, countries and races and collectives, then, um... I would say the majority of people would be like, yeah, makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But if we fill it with individual people, like Kelly bullied Kristen in okay in the past, and so therefore yes. you should give me a thousand dollars now. Then people yes. are like, mm. I don't know. It's probably just has to do with personal perspective, and I've also never experienced something that wronged me so hard that I feel the need to to be like, I deserve this out of your pocket. But I think like my stance on it i hope in the future as well no matter what i experience would be to rise above like there's there's better ways to further myself than it is for me to ask for this money i guess (laughs) but as you mentioned like this whole theme of growing up it's Mm -hmm. like okay i need to tell you what i've learned about growing up i think there's i think there's two key markers of what it means to be an adult. And though two key signs that you've probably Matured. reached the stage of adult maturity. Mm-hmm. One is that other adults begin to seek your counsel or mm-hmm. take your advice seriously. You know, mm-hmm. my mom has started asking me for relationship advice. Mm-hmm. Straight up, I mean, like, like she's she's in the dating phase, right? Mm-hmm. She's asking me for relationship advice, and I'm not, I'm not saying I reached a level of like adult maturity in its entirety. I certainly have yeah, 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 a long road to go in certain ways. But my, I would say my understanding of of relationships and how to navigate them is um, relatively like like developed. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's one and. And my mom's friends, you know, like confide in me mm-hmm. about their marital failures. <laughs> and I mean, uh-huh. it's so fun. And they're like, they're like 50. And I'm like 17. But mm-hmm. 
because I, I recognize I've grown as a person and yeah. I start it's start it's it starting to be recognized and secondly it's you start seeing people in authority positions as like you don't perceive them as their role but you start perceiving them as humans and this seems so self-explanatory but it's really hard to execute mm-hmm. in practice mm-hmm. this year i finally started doing that i finally started seeing my parents as humans that are lost in some way still growing in some ways and so insufficient and mm-hmm. whatever wrongs they've done in the past i've completely forgiven you know yeah and that's definitely a big step towards adulthood i feel like for in my case as well like i think my family dynamic is much more special but i feel like since i was probably the age of 13 i was more so in an adult position than regular kids should have been at like to the extent that people in asia perceived me as a college student when i was 13 just cuz like my circumstance facilitated so much like mental growth i guess mm. in me that people just thought that i was much older than i was already and i think that had a lot to do with like basically how much responsibility you had to carry kind of and in that sense it really is like a a milestone in growing up when you realize that your parents are people too. I feel like that's a very very big change in your mindset as a child because it's no longer like oh this person's responsibility is to care for me. It's more so like you understand them as a separate human and you have to like regain your perspective on who they are and how you interact from them forward. Because nowadays I feel like I I interact with my parents much more like peers. Than, than a kid and a parent. Right? And I right. think that's that's dangerous in some ways, especially but like it depends on it entirely resides on like how responsible the kid is because I think they understand that for people like you and me, we probably know how important it is to like facilitate our own growth. We don't need them to point fingers and tell us like what you have to do right now or what you should do and set like a curfew or whatever. Like they know that we we understand like more things about this world now that we don't need someone to be there to constantly guide them and in the same t- like at the same time we could support them a bit more in other aspects as well i feel like mm-hmm. and like there was also like this is also super interesting though i was just thinking about this the other day um there was a story that i've heard growing up a lot from adults and it was more so when i attended like it was kind of like bible study class but for buddhists i guess and <laughs> yeah and a like- weird concept and then So it's basically Asian as well and they always told this story about it really gives you insight into like Asiatic culture. It was a story about this boy. I don't really have a name for him, so like when they Hamlet. <laughs> oh, hold on. I yes. forgot about the gimmick we agreed upon. Um uh, yes. Desdemona, Desdemona. It's Desdemona. Yeah. Okay. So Desdemona like Desdemona grew up in a really like rural place and he was born to a single mother as well. I don't know what happened to his dad, but that's the that's the setting of the story. And this mother was very very strict growing up. And even though Desdemona was very like a very meek child and like a very good-natured kid, whenever he would do something wrong because you know kids kids do be messing around, his mom would beat him basically. And with a I don't know I don't know what he beat him with but it was always like he would grab she would grab him like by somewhere and then she he'd she'd like she'd start going at it and being like you can't do that you can't do that like it was basically harsh discipline and then the story progresses where like 
as he grew up older and older, he would never yell at her, his mom. He would never refute her beatings either. And it didn't matter like how wrong he did because he was a really good kid too. He didn't do anything bad. He just lived a normal life. But like whenever he would do something or not follow a rule or not clean up things a certain way his mother liked, his mother would beat him basically. And like throughout all of this, he was a very filial child in a sense that he never refuted any of his mother's beatings. He just listened and grew from his mother's teachings. And until one day when he was like 40 years old or whatever, when he revisited his, his mother after he like left his home. This is also in like probably like ancient China or rural China or whatever. But like until he like went out there alone, you know, did development as a kid, like gr grew up basically and like had a job, whatever, came back when he was like 30 or something or 40. And they were also eating dinner one day. And also Desdemona did something wrong again. And then his mother, at this point, his mother was probably like 70, like, you know, almost kicking the bucket, <laughs> something like that. And he did something wrong again. And his mother just like instinctively grabbed him again and started beating him again. And during that beating was the first time that he ever cried. And he cried not because it hurt too much, but because he realized that the force with which his mother like beat beat him with was no longer the same strength as when he was a kid. And he finally realized how how much older his mom has become and how much frailer she has become. And in that sense, she in that sense he felt like sorrow and I guess pain and in knowing that his mother has gone, has gotten much more weaker kind of. So I feel like that story as a kid was like, bro, what? <laughs> I'm supposed to just like, because it sends two messages across. The first message isn't like, you know, don't be your kid. It's like, if you get beaten, you better shut up and not cry. Like that's, I feel like that's the first subliminal message that was sent to me. The second one was like, now that I look back on it, it's, mo it's more so about like, like how much you understand that your parents aren't going to be perfect because like when you hear the story you know that the shock value there is like oh my god he's beating up the kid constantly but like as you grew up you understand that maybe it wasn't really right for the mom the mother to do something but at the very end you grow to accept them as a person and you recognize them as a human because now you understand that they are they are beings that are capable of growing weak too in that sense and that love prevails through it all no matter no matter what it is i don't know like if you should actually take this story and be like you know what good story but like i feel like you know to each their own interpretation that's what i learned from it and i feel like it's a pretty good story that ties to our conversation the thing you did wasn't good you would say like mm -hmm. and, and you wouldn't say it with that tone either you said mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah and and that's how and which means like uh like the way that you did this isn't uh, appropriate and yeah. you would and the, the wording is more um ambiguous and mm -hmm. that way of communicating is seen as virtuous and mature yeah yeah i have the exact same thing applies where like in mandarin i feel like there's like a common saying where it's like ah, xie xie, zai lian luo. and that means like thank you we'll contact you later something like that but that normally like xie xie, zai lian luo, normally means i i no longer want to have any relations to this person that like there's also that kind of perception where like when you see someone it's like ah, ah, like in social situations when you don't want to like i guess it is, like, this exists in western culture too but it's more so like it's more so like the fact that this is a 
this is a common oh, understood it's, thing. It's being courtesy. Yeah, courtesy. yeah, yeah. Which courteous. Yeah. Courteous. Yeah. Yeah, it's allowing that person to save face, and you're also like yes, yes, a virtual yes. front, a virtuous front. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, Asian culture. I, I, we can only speak to Chinese culture. It's quite similar yeah. in Japanese and Korean, but uh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. it's easy to discredit the Asiatic method, or we should say Chinese method, because we can't. Mm-hmm. We don't really I, know how far this could go. Yeah. No, I can. I can speak to some degree on like Japanese and Korean culture. I would say, mm-hmm. okay, here's here's like a very shallow distinction. I think um, Chinese culture is very dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. Like no, the, okay. This is the way that we express ourselves. We're quite dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. Koreans, they're melodramatic, and like Japanese, mm-hmm. they're just mellow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, good, I mean, that's good very shallow. It makes sense, though, mm-hmm. because individual choice is is a very iffy concept. Because um, with you're not you're never making a choice from an obje- objective standpoint. Right, we're all mm-hmm. making biased yeah. decisions that are, that are you know informed by our schema, like mm-hmm. this. Um, that is like accumulate this lens that we look at, that, that the lens in which we process the world that is built up through previous experiences. Yeah, and and when there's so many choices, you become paralyzed. You know, so individual choice is not as great as. It seems, and um, collectivism isn't as bad as it seems. You know, having mm-hmm. your parents decide all like parts of your life for you, like your career and to some extent your spouse. One is like you are binded to something through your biological impulses, and and the other is through like you're chained in to a relationship or a job from. Like societal pressure, like what's the difference in some way? Mm-hmm. Mm. Damn mm. son, damn son. <laughs> <laughs> really whoa, makes you whoa, think. Whoa. Ew, that wasn't <laughs> applicable. You can make that. You can make that your intro song. <laughs> when you roll, when you roll the title screen, just whoa, whoa, whoa. and then your ugly drawing just surfaces for a hot second. <laughs> Hey, yeah, I was pretty happy with the cover. I wanted to be like, like silly, but kind of sophisticated. It gives me like, like, what do you think about my cover? Does it give you, you know, like, what, or what vibe do you get from it? If I just saw the title and if I really had to analyze like the 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 icon thing, I'd probably say. But I feel like I can't. I don't know if I could say this because I'm biased, right? Because I know you as a person. But I feel like I would say this person like probably doesn't. Doesn't feel the need to take themselves super seriously for them to be able to have authority in some sense. Probably, it's pretty good. Yay! Respect me, just because <laughs> I. Yeah, I think it's a pretty right. accurate portrayal of. Actually, no, it's not like I think authority is. Like I am entitled to authority or anything. I just don't think I, mm-hmm. I should change myself to make people respect me. But, exactly, like that's what I'm saying, right? You don't. It, it's not like you have to. You have to strive for some sort of logo that appeals to what's currently in the market or whatever. Like you're not trying to make it marketable. You're just trying to make it you. You know? Yeah, I'm making so this thumbs up thing. That's my, ad- my gimmick. admirable. I saw. Yeah, I saw your gimmick on Instagram. 
boring gimmick. Boo, boo. That's what my mom does in photos. Like, when, whenever she takes a photo, because she's, like, not really good at taking photos. She just goes, like... <laughs> it's, it's so stupid. Mm, I mean, well, I always do this. I always do the peace sign, and peace sign's pretty stupid, too. But, like, it feels awkward to not do anything. Like, I'm not an 80-year-old Chinese grandpa, you know? Like, the way they're always just, like... Okay, this is going to be audio only, so like people listening won't have anything you're doing. But like grandpas, they have their hands behind their back and they're kind of slouched over, and their their vision is really blurry, so they have their face scrunched up. Yeah, and they just kind of like stare into the camera. Yeah. (laughs) I used to really rebel against the thought of like just because we're connected by blood does not mean that I need to unconditionally like do my best to care for you and in that sense be selfless in the pursuit of like being able to fulfill whatever your family's needs are like i used to not really understand that because i think relationships formed by bond are just as important as whatever predispositioned relationship that you have with your family just by biological ties why did i say that so fast (laughs) rapper time but i think my mom too as a kid like she told not my mom as a kid my mom told us as a kid like me and my siblings that like at the end of the day, only, only like your, this sounds like a mob boss, but like only your kid will be the ones that look out for you. And I think that is something that isn't necessarily true because relationships formed by choice are just as strong as those formed by blood. But I would say those formed by blood give you a, a more well-rounded like predisposition, like a, like a good built schema of what relationships should be like it provides you a sense of comfort and a foundation for you to actually build better relationships because you feel as if like no matter what in the world it's it's mandatory for me to not be alone and in that sense it's very comforting to have those familial relationships because like i think in a a very more realistic scale there's people out there who don't have good family members they have hella toxic family members and i think it's important for you to leave them if you know that they're driving you to the edge and like like they love like sleep to the freezing, which is a Hoiser lyric. Anyways, mm. they love like sleep to the freezing. When I heard that song lyric, I was kind of like, like damn. Sorry, sleep to the freezing. They yeah, like uh, it was more so about like, a romantic situation, but I think it applies to all relationships in general, where like an individual loves to the sleep, loves like sleep to the freezing, something like that. I feel Which like are, that's a pretty good way. Sleep, sleep as in Sleeping. like. To the like freezing. To the to... freezing, yes. Huh. I think the lyric was like, she loves like sleep to the freezing. And I think it makes sense in a sense where you're in a toxic situation, as much as you want to stay there because it's comfortable, you understand that you are deteriorating as a person just because huh. of your, your ties. I feel like in that sense, like I'm not saying, you know, like always be with your family no matter how toxic they are. Cause like there are situations where you have to get away from it. But I think some teenagers, cause especially when you're go through you go through adolescence, you of course you want to rebel against your parents. Because your parents are also now understanding that they don't have to care about everything they have to do. And there's like a period of development that you have to go through. And I think kids look onto the internet and they hear about these stories of actual toxic parents, of parents who like are way too selfish and they beat their kids senselessly not for the not for the sake of discipline but for the sake of just releasing their anger and they feel as if toxicity is something that could be applied to everybody's life because i feel like the hard truth of life is everybody 
everybody has a toxic relationship trait in any of their relationships. I feel like that's I feel like that's just a thing that goes around, and you can't really be canceling certain members of your life or certain like people you know just because you feel like ah that that's toxic behavior. But I put like it doesn't really work like that, right? Yeah. I feel like people need to recognize how to grow more and grow away from that. Even if, even if interaction is toxic, it's there's no such thing as like a permanent, a permanent state of like we have to be in this kind of toxic relationship, kind of. And I think that has something to do with maturity as well. Like you, you grow out of to overcome. Learn to overcome what? Yeah, you need to lo- over learn to overcome. Toxicity uh-huh. in relationships. I mean, relationships yeah. by definition are, um, I mean, we're limited in our one in our understanding of other people because mm-hmm. we have very the amount of things that we can perceive is very limited, and also the amount the the way we're very limited in our communication um, mm-hmm. because because no one really knows who they are, and um, it it like. Like, why do you think you know what you what you want? You don't know what you want. Communication is very difficult as well. So relationships, there's always going to be toxic traits, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And part of growing up is figuring out how to navigate those traits and identify re- which relationships are worth pursuing. I've been reading a lot of um, like books on this idea like novels that play with the idea of power dynamics because it's a really huge conversation uh, mm-hmm. in society today and I think my take on it is in the cases of like these celebrities and you know rich white men those are extreme examples but what we need to realize is there's power dynamics in every single damn relationship whether it is financial or or emotional mental or or like you have some uh like attachment to this person in some way there's and or dependency it's always going to exist and it's like we've been talking for so long it's like my 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 your brain shorts are getting <laughs> yeah like yeah. i'm overheating my brain's melting but yeah so power dynamics it's i i read a novel recently um it's about a rich uh very wealthy uh lesbian woman who falls in love with this straight uh track star who is very very poor and it it goes like it suffers through like the worst kind of abuse from her father the wealthy lesbian girl she she murders um uh the the track star's husband because the track star asked her to and you know why simply because she said i love you and um please do this for me so like even though like one has this financial power over the other uh mm-hmm. this the other one has this strong emotional like strong grip over this other person's like em- like this emotional hold over the person uh-huh. like the, the the wealthy person like emotionally dependent on her willing to sacrifice everything and this is an extreme example but uh, you see this like quite often you know people taking advantage of those who are smart or wealthy i feel like this is quite a relevant like issue kind of that could also be applied to more like more like uh what is it what's the term conservative 
conservative male and female, like male and female dynamics as well, and like, and like sexism in the past. Because I feel like modern sexism is kind of different than sexism in the past. Because I feel like, I mean, in some ways, the argument has always been like we know historically that women haven't been, you know, the same. Like they didn't have the same equal rights as men. But it's also because like they weren't, they weren't given the same role as what men was given in the past. And I feel like in the past, like. Probably most of the cases I know, I feel like the woman normally tends to have a stronger emotional, role, like hold over the male, and that's why, that's why, like, I mean, it's it's basically their only method of being able to gain some sort of stability since the men was like the man was the provider, the pe- the person who like took care of like, oh my, my earpods are dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they took care of my earbuds dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like basically they had all the power because they basically controlled everything because they're also the the the, per- the people who the person who does everything, right? So I feel like emotions played a bigger role for a woman to gain control over, you know, like the uh, the person that controls basically everything in the household. So in that sense, I guess you could say that was their way of leveling out the playing field. But like I would say it's a pretty it's a pretty trash way to have to assert dominance i guess but it's a very powerful way i think we often underestimate the power of emotional dependency because it's very obscure you can't measure it you can't measure Mm -hmm. it only to only the people in the relationship can understand it it's like yeah like why did rihanna stay with chris brown even though she would immediately (laughs) Uh beat her you know in interview she would say oh he needs me who's gonna take care of him you know things like that um and like like she didn't have any financial dependency on him but she was completely mm-hmm. psychologically dependent on him uh, in cases of when when the person is your boss you know mm-hmm. or, or your lawyer where they have they have like okay. direct authority over your life yeah. then mm-hmm. um then yes that's that, that can be very dangerous but other than that power dynamics is always going to exist and it's part of relationships to try to navigate them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Damn. Damn, son. Damn, son. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have, we have so much things to talk about. So many things. And like, yes. we skim over some and we're like, damn, I want to go into it, but it take like another two hours. So, yeah. I mean, I think we covered what we want cover today right yeah i mean we covered a lot more than we thought we were gonna cover you should probably trim out the things i don't really connect to like personal growth probably right because some things had more not necessarily some like issues on a global scale i'm not saying you should cut those out but like would you want to leave those in like what Um, what things do you think like what topics do you think that we ventured into that you feel like probably doesn't belong on this episode the only parts that I would cut out if, is is if if there's extensive like periods of you know Pauses. silence or something. Uh-huh. Um, but I try to leave it as unedited as possible, unless there's something that you want to cut out and you don't feel comfortable sharing. Not because either. I want to. Be, I feel like podcasts tend to be. I want it to seem authentic and also like we're real people and not everything we say is profound. So yeah, yeah. And we slip up all the time and some things we say is stupid and we don't even know why we say it. Sometimes we just go mm-hmm. into a trance and we go on a tangent. 
yeah i think it's yeah. very scary where like this is the first time i'm experiencing this where like like i say something and i mean it a certain way but like after i say it i recognize that there's many different ways it could be interpreted and in that sense it's all of a sudden like whoa oh no it's kind of dangerous mm, yeah. yeah my podcast it's 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 very different from having conversation the moment that you have a camera recording you it's like the flow is just interrupted it becomes much more unnatural and yeah like if yeah. you feel as if what you're saying has to live up to a certain expectation and all of a sudden it's like what i say has to hold substance why they have to hold substance and you can't really just be like yo bro and like it's not like barriers are basically built up because you know you're exposing yourself so suddenly vulnerability is just like Whoa, like can't be shown <laughs> and i think it basically kind of removes comfortability normally because i feel like normally if i were to speak to you randomly i'd be much more at ease and be like you know like i guess i'm gonna share my hot take now and like not care as much about who i'm harming kind of not really that much but it's like i'm more willing to share a draft idea basically and that's probably right the right move to do to not share draft ideas when you're literally like presenting something to the world i guess yeah i mean when you're talking it's another form of thinking most people think mm -hmm. through talking mm -hmm. and um on a podcast because it's going to be heard by other people it's going to be like immortalized in this in this on a cloud somewhere um mm -hmm. it's like that's what people see and that's what people associate with you i mean people might like think that you're conservative when they listen to this but you're not you're a fucking socialist <laughs> Yeah. I'm not really a socialist per se. I don't. I, I don't really feel like I. I want to identify politically, like as like you know what I identify with. Which form of, like, uh, which form of government? I don't really know. I feel like nowadays, I'm more inclined to look at what is presently available in the party options and like what policies they have much more than what spectrum they identify themselves with because i think that is like blurring the line between bureaucratic work and emotion kind of mm. like yeah i don't really know i know that there's certain forms of government and certain forms of like structures of the economy that work better than the other but i wouldn't necessarily identify myself to be like i only agree with this one because i think so much of it is circumstantial that i can't really for sure be like this one's the superiorist and stuff like that so I'm not yeah. really a socialist per se. Yeah, but, like, I totally agree I would with say, that. I would say that like, like when you take personality tests, since I'm high in openness, openness is more of a common trait found on the left side than on the right side. So like, I don't really feel as if, I don't really feel as if the conservative group would really accept me either. But like, at the same time, I don't feel as if the leftist group would accept me too. So like, you know what, whatever, man. Pub okay, public conservatives, like on social media and things like that. Mm -hmm. they're they seem more they're far more rational and sensible than the per than the people they represent and the inverse is true on the left that's what mm -hmm. i tend to see you know like mm -hmm. people like public figures that are that identify as leftists are far more radical than the average person on the left seem to see at least in america it's not mm -hmm. the conservatives i know in canada they tend to be very sensible because you know like conservative and liberal they're basically the same thing here in canada basically yeah it's just that like one has a like an attractive guy leading it one has his old balding like raisin leading it who is the raisin 
Oh, uh, it used to be this guy, John John Tool, I think his name was. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about Andrew Shear. I was like, what? No, what? that was before. Wait. Yeah. I totally I don't keep up with Canadian politics because mm-hmm. we don't like they don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so kind of suspicious though. I don't know. Like we're not conspiracy theorists either, so that's not that's not dive too deep into why Canadian politics isn't as like, you know, talked about. No, I just think we just focus more on individual development. Um mm-hmm. like we're very much like incrementalists. Uh mm-hmm. it we believe that in bettering the individual, bettering ourselves, you know, create this ripple effect and just everybody just do make yourself as good as you can and that's enough. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a philosophy I prescribe to largely. Um because I don't like like joining protests for instance if i wanted to solve a societal issue i'll just like i'll just go into a cave and like just work on this thing like m- myself and mm-hmm. um i, I just, it's a very personal project i don't like like tests and things like that and even yeah. donations because it's like like you don't know what the organization is going to do with your donation Mm-hmm. Unless it's yeah, direct, you know, to the pockets of those who are being affected. Mm-hmm. Because when, like, what does BLM do with their donations? I'm talking about the organization BLM, not the movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what the hell? Like, thirty percent of your revenue goes to overhang costs and administration fees. You don't have any employees. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. You know. So, yeah. that's a separate thing. Politics. We'll discuss that next time you're on um, yay okay so that wraps it up for this episode of the Wobcast. uh yeah. i think we had a great discussion it was fun and it was so fun yeah <laughs> and, okay this is a testimony so if if any like viewers are listening and they want to be part of this podcast hit me up and i'll vibe check you and you know you heard it from our our uh, co-host herself. This has been a very fun experience. I'm so, a co-host. I guess no, you're not. No, you're a co. Right? You're I was te- like, you're I'm a temporary an, co-host. I'm a guest. I'm a guest, right? Oh yeah, you're a guest. You heard it from yeah. the guest herself. It was very fun. <laughs> and, when was I going? <laughs> yeah, so this is gonna be the first episode that's gonna be uploaded, and this is the type of content you're gonna get. We're gonna talk about everything and anything we're gonna move very quickly and uh sometimes we say profound things um sometimes we don't and sometimes all we say is damn son (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. um so we hope that the audience can just get an insight into insight into the importance of the individual voice and how Mm -hmm. much interesting things everyone has to offer when you get to know them yeah. So I mean, even normies can be interesting once you get to know them. Yeah. And I really feel like this, like I hope this probably shapes the people's framework somewhat. Like, like even if you don't agree with any of our opinions, it forces you. It basically stimulates you to develop your own ideas, and hopefully, you know, you you become better of a person and you grow more. Join us next time. I upload whenever I want. And yeah, cool.